0: It's the trick of how do you talk about your framework when every framework claims to be fast? Right. But what we like to say is it's fast by default, which I don't think any other framework can really claim. Oh. What we mean by that is like, it should be hard to build a slow site with Astro. Because for content sites, performance is so key. It's key to conversions and Google SEO, they're gonna rank faster sites over slower sites. Right. In a lot of other frameworks, you're kind of like, okay, well, we built a slow site, what do we do? Okay, well, we can optimize, let's bring in a performance expert, let's spend a sprint on just performance, and maybe you can make some progress. But we wanna come from a principle of like, it should be really difficult, you should be like, having to try to make Astro slow for it to be slow. Otherwise, we just keeping you out of that pit is a main goal of the project.
1: This episode is brought to you by our friends at Retool. Retool helps teams focus on product development and customer value, not building and maintaining internal tools. It's a low-code platform built specifically for developers. No more UI libraries, no more hacking together data sources, and no more worrying about access controls start shipping internal apps to move your business forward in minutes with basically zero uptime reliability or maintenance burden on your team some of the best teams out there trust retool brex coinbase plaid doordash legal genius amazon Allbirds, peloton and so many more the developers at these teams trust retool as their platform to build their internal tools and that means you can too It's free to try, so head to retool.com slash changelog. Again, retool.com slash changelog.
2: This is JS Party, your weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web subscribe to the pod if you haven't already head to jsparty.fm for all the ways and if you dig the show please do tell a friend or a colleague that'd be pretty cool special thanks to our partners at fastly for shipping all of our pods super fast to wherever you listen check them out at fastly.com and to our friends at fly.io post your app servers close to your users no ops required learn more at fly.io okay hey it's party time y'all
3: Party people! Well, you're like party nerds. It's Amel Hussein here today, haven't been here in a hot minute, had a lot going on. All is well now and uh, very happy to be back. I was a little worried because we were dancing to the intro music and Fred, our guest, I kind of ruined the surprise, but Fred started to pixelate and I was like, oh no. The dancing's too hot. You're like, you know, burning <laughs> up your wire. You know, <laughs> so. I'm
0: glad that was captured forever for everyone to watch. That's great to know. Definitely dance, knowing that, sh- certainly.
3: Yeah. So without further ado, it's just me here today. And we have a really special guest, Fred Schott, with us. Fred will tell you all about himself in just a second. We're here to talk about Astro with Fred, which is really kind of this bleeding edge, cutting, cutting edge, cutting all the JavaScript edges, web UI framework that we're going to learn tons about today. But before we dig into Astro, Fred, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? And welcome.
0: Yeah, awesome. I'm really excited to be on. It's been, like, years and a long time, and this is just really fun to be back on. So thank you for having me.
3: Yeah, thank you for being here.
0: Yeah. My background is I've been working in open source for a long time now, uh, mostly in JavaScript tooling. So a couple projects that you might know me from, uh, Snowpack, Skypack. Before that, I worked on the Polymer team at Google, a bunch of other just small little open source repos, and uh, most recently working on a project called Astro, which we're going to get into here because we... I got to get this right with the time vortex we're in. It has just launched by the time you're listening to this.
3: Yes. So I'm really
0: excited to share it because it's really new and exciting and is an awesome tool that we've been working really hard on.
3: Yeah, exactly. And you're kind of underselling yourself because, Fred, I feel like you're like, I don't know, if there ever was a JavaScript Illuminati, I feel like you would definitely be one of those members because, you know, I really do think of you as somebody who's always pushed the community forward and you've never really been afraid of putting yourself out there and like making bold bets and also just really, you know, flipping the table on the status quo. I think you have even, you didn't mention Pika, which kind of was this package manager that really, you know, you were just like, yeah, I don't really care if NPM exists. I'm gonna just go head to head with NPM and just try to create a mechanism to surface packages that have ECMA scripts, ECMA modules, right? So how do I do this, right? So, I mean, I feel like you've always really been bold and I feel like you've always tried to really push the community forward so like thank you for that. Oh my god
0: thank you that's very kind and and I don't know if it's deserved but.
3: But it's true.
0: Yeah the last episode I was on actually Jared was just telling me was me like pitching ES modules which now three years later it's like oh yeah that's what we're all you like Vite is like the thing people are using now that's all happened so. Right yeah. Well thank you.
3: Yeah so like lesson to y'all who are listening is like sometimes these arguments just take a while to kind of settle. And like three years later, you can look back at old arguments on Twitter and, fi- and and say, okay, yeah, this person was clearly on the right side of this argument, right? And sometimes it just takes a while <laughs> for the community to, <laughs> to catch up, right? So anyway, so Astro is, is you know, kind of just came out with its 1.0, but it's really not new. I mean, it's new, yes, but not really. It's, I feel like, you know, I've been hearing about Astro for a while. I've been seeing you all push stuff and it's been this slow kind of reveal. So can you kind of give us some timelines and give us some insights into kind of like, how long have you been working on this project and what motivated it?
0: Yeah. It's like every overnight success, there's years in the making this, this really traces back to even that Pika story. But Astro itself, I think is about, if you go back to the first commit, like a year and a half old. So we've really been working on this for a while, trying to get it right before we kind of stamp it with that V1. The best way to explain it is essentially a content focused or content driven web framework. So if you're thinking of how you want to build your website and you're looking at like Next.js, SvelteKit, or Nuxt, or maybe you're looking at like a static Jamstack builder like Eleventy or Hugo, we're trying to be the best choice for anyone who's building a content site. So marketing sites, portfolios, blogs, personal sites, if the focus of what you're building is content, getting content to someone who's trying to read or consume that content, that's what we're trying to be the best at. And we have a lot of really cool features that are kind of designed explicitly for that use case, where we see other frameworks optimizing more for apps and dashboards and Mm -hmm. really complex use cases, which are all well and good. But we see a real opportunity here to build a framework for people who build content sites. Yeah. And so that's what Astro is.
3: Yeah, no, that that makes a ton of sense, Fred. I feel like... For me, that's like a really refreshing kind of, I think, motivator and perspective, because to some degree, like even things like AMP were really created, right, to focus on, all right, well, you know, we have all these kind of static sites that need to get to users faster. What do we do? Oh, I know. Let's just limit all the JavaScript, right? (laughs) And also come up with our own cryptic set of rules and, oh, I don't know, like use private servers to prioritize caching and blah, 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 and maybe (laughs) a few years down the line make a lot of publishers and whoever angry, right? So, you know, for better or worse. We're going to
0: make the web faster by making it only what we let you do in this little sandbox, (laughs) and therefore the web is fast now and good. And yeah, that's pretty antithetical to a lot of things about the web.
3: Right, but again, I appreciate for me, right, I appreciate the experiment, I appreciate the innovation, and I appreciate the intent, right, So now, like how do we kind of further evolve from that, right? and it feels like Astro's kind of taking a step in that direction. I think for me, like this focus on content and content like websites that are like you know. That's your niche. I'd say, like, okay, great job picking a niche because that's really the majority of the internet, right?
0: Yeah, it's as far as niches go, you can't really get much bigger. Um, right. I think the last number of this, I saw is like around 60% of the internet is like, or the top 500 sites are that type of content focused site. So, mm-hmm. yeah, as far as niches go, it's a big one.
3: Yeah. I totally agree. Like, where would you say places like Reddit fall into that spectrum? Because I feel like Reddit is like so heavy on content. It's like read, read, read for the most part, and then there's there's some interactivity there as well from users. But that's like user generated content. I feel like yeah. So like, where does that kind of fall in that spectrum for you?
0: I think you use the right word, which is spectrum. It's definitely different sites and even different pages within a site can kind of take different forms. So mm-hmm. yeah, Reddit like the creation of content is much more interactive than just reading the content and then once you get into the comments it's yeah. there's a lot of little interactive bits right so we like that like content focus because it really kind of is our north star mm-hmm. but there's really cool features that kind of back that up so the big one is thinking about how you architect your site mm-hmm. the biggest difference that astro has from others is that we really like this idea of generating your page it's all static html and then you're hydrating like the interactive bits around the page So for some things, if everything is connected data, like you post something here, it updates a dashboard there, like this doesn't work for every use case. But for content, when the majority of the site is actually the static thing that you're consuming, Mm -hmm. it really works well to kind of color in almost within the lines, like a paint by numbers. Well, here's the kind of interactive comment here. Here's the button here. Here's the navigation there. The benefit of that is that you're actually only hydrating individual parts of the site. And the performance benefit there is that you're not sending down this entire JavaScript app to your users, you're sending down these little snippets. So that's the biggest difference. Reddit it works really well. Hacker News is kind of this like clone demo that people like to benchmark Astro against. Yeah, get the Next.js Hacker News versus the Kit Hacker News versus the Astro. And mm-hmm. the interesting thing about Astro is unlike all those other ones, we don't have to send a JavaScript app to render that page and make it interactive. We're just making sure the comment button is interactive, the navigation's interactive. It's much more selective and therefore much more fast. We're just sending way less JavaScript down to your users at the end of the day.
3: Yeah. Again, that's another really refreshing take. And I think another way that I think Astro and the folks involved with the project as a whole have really helped push the community's thinking on this. And we'll get into some really cool stuff in a second, like islands. And no, not islands in the sun, which is what I always think of. I'm like, islands in this, you know, no, different kinds of islands. But I think what's interesting for me is that thinking about architecture that way means that you're also always planning for that fast by default experience, right? And you're being very intentional about what you want to be expensive. And like, versus kind of this opposite world that we've been living in for however many years, or, you know, where it's like, we're just by default, like everything is chunky and heavy. And we ship it, and then we start subtracting from there after the fact. It's kind of painful. Like, no wonder teams have so much difficulty like making their apps performant, like we're speaking English when we need to be speaking Italian or something like that, right? It's like, what are we even doing? So it kind of like, are we using the right tools? Are we using the right methodology? Are we using the right architecture? Like I would say no, no, no. Right. And so I think it's like, yeah, I mean, I have said this before on the show. (laughs) I'll say it again, might make some people upset. Right. But for me in 2022, like love tools like React, but they come with their own set of problems and whatnot. But generally, like if I wasn't designing for a multi-platform use case, where I needed this to run in a native application or in a VR headset or whatever, like if I just needed this to be on the web, I would not be using a tool like React to like create a simple website. I just wouldn't, it's just too chunky. It's not, It just, there's too much overhead. It's got too many pieces of luggage, you know?
4: So
0: I'll take the other side of that. And I, you need to stop me because I will talk about that. I find the history of like how we got to where we are fascinating but mm-hmm. i actually don't and i think i'm in the minority of like the web perf like diehards here but i don't know if i find react the problem as much as i find the everything is react mm-hmm. kind of thinking and that then applies like everything is felt everything is view where if you imagine like even like a simple hello world next js site and i'm not picking next js this is like the model that they use that everyone else is using mm-hmm. you're not just sending down the like a hello world there's nothing really interactive but you're sending on javascript to power it and this history goes all the way back to, like, create React app, where... Right. And Jamstack really kind of pushed this because there were a lot of benefits to it. But the thinking that your whole site is a JavaScript app, it's rendering on the client, you're only thinking in one code base, you have this really nice separation of concerns, your back end's an API, your UI is all one code base. Like, there's really nice organizational things that people love.
3: From the developer's perspective, right? Isn't that DX, though? That's, like, the DX is... Yeah, yeah
0: the DX is incredible. It's unbeatable. Versus like you know like uh, PHP, I worked on sites where you're rendering HTML with PHP, and then you're also rendering it again with React. It's like you're trying to keep two code bases. I've seen some bad stuff. Yeah. But it's that idea of like the DX was so good, but then we just took that path, and 10 years later we found ourselves where we keep adding complexity and adding more code to solve a problem that is mm-hmm. inherently too much code. That's our take on it. That It's not that React's a problem, it's that we've way over-indexed on how much is powered by React or Vue or Svelte. At the end of the day, more the more code you're asking the user to run, you're just fighting physics at that point. That's code that has to run on your user's device. It's going to slow it down.
3: Yeah, no, I mean that makes a ton of sense. And again, it just takes goes back to like the intentionality of what we're doing and how often, like we're all working under such constraints and such like, you know, cow paths that also the community has paved. Right? There's best practices. There's tools like CRA that like you know create React app that make things so easy. Just one button and right like if we're not careful about the complexities that we're abstracting, right? Like if we're abstracting away things like that are okay, generally best practices and good decisions, like great. But like the risk of mass adoption and abstracting away some of those things, like is you're making bad decisions that you didn't even make, you know, <laughs> you're just a tool made it for you, right?
0: Yeah. The way we phrase it is like create React app and a lot of others, they'll If you ever look in your Node modules when you install something with Create React App, there's, I think, like 2,000 packages, 2,000 dependencies all sitting on top of each other. And we call that, like, it's complexity but kind of wrapped and, like, hidden from you. Mm -hmm. But then when you want to go and do something new, it's either the tool says, no, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. Like, there's too much here. You're going to mess it up. Or, like, okay, but be careful. If anything breaks, good luck finding which one of the 2,000 dependencies is causing that problem. Right. So it's, like, we've hidden complexity for so long. What I love about this kind of new wave of tools like Astro is what if we just actually removed a lot of that complexity? Mm-hmm. What if we dropped down what you have to think about when you build and instead gave you something that starts from first principles, mm-hmm. web standards, HTML? Right. I think that's a much better place than just continuing to wrap the complexity in more and more layers of abstraction.
3: Yeah, no, that that makes a ton of sense. And like put the onus on the developer to intentionally make the decisions about where They want to take the app in terms of like which sections am I bulking up and being very intentional about those decisions. Also, like everyone, when they have the time to think about it, typically like comes to the right conclusions, but it's just actually like, have we even thought about what we're doing really? Right? Most of us are just like on autopilot. And in all fairness, to create React app, I don't think anybody could have predicted the way it was going to take off. Like, clearly, there was a need in the community for all of like kind of like having more boilerplate templates that could serve and manage away all of the javascript tooling complexity right because there is some fatigue there from the community and like that's something that we can't like not talk about right cuz like that is a real thing real problem right and react was also the first application we've talked about this on the show before that went to NPM land and like said, okay, JavaScript front end developers, we're gonna go hijack the node community now because we need node tooling to build JavaScript apps now. And you know, that was a shift that happened. And then we, then we ended up with a bunch of node tools that needed to build your front end app. And right.
0: And then node changed and all the tools have to, yeah, it's right. We really like this term all in one. And I think it's a larger trend. I think Deno kind of falls into this, like bun, if you've seen that, like, I think people are starting to feel more comfortable presenting something as a full, complete platform and not a collection of 2,000 different packages all hopefully working together. Because
3: it's, it's hard to maintain. Um, so we
0: like this idea of Astro being a really stable runtime almost a platform or foundation, whatever you want to call it, that is much more like build on top of this and we got you.
1: Hey friends, this episode is brought to you by Sentry and their upcoming developer experience conference called Dex, Sort the Madness. Deploying new code can be a lot like making a really great sandwich, taking a bite, and having all the contents fall out. It's exciting, it's chaotic, and it's maddening. If you know the feeling, then Dex by Century might just be for you. This is a free conference by developers for developers. We will sort through the madness and look for ways to improve workflow productivity. Join Century for this event in San Francisco or virtually on September 28th and discover new ways to make your life a little easier. Save your seat now for this event at bit.ly slash dex 2022 Again, bit.ly slash dex2022. This link is in the show notes.
3: Fred, that was really insightful and super interesting, kind of digging into some of the context and history behind some of the motivations of Astro. And, like, just kind of y'all make some pretty bold promises here. I kind of will list through some of those, right? So, Astro's content focused, server first, fast by default, easy to use, and fully featured, but flexible, right? And I think that's interesting. That's a tough. Fully featured but flexible. I mean, that's how do you make it easy for newbies to get started and make good decisions without having to really think about it? And then how do you not hold back power users? Right, like that's like the always the struggle with API design. So let's get into some of this. So we've talked a lot about the content focus piece. Can we talk about the server first piece? Because there's quite a bit here with just being server first. For me, it's like. I kind of read that, like, y'all are promising that this renders in the server. So you don't have to ever worry about any state management or whatever else unless you want to. But I, yeah. I'm just curious, like, what does that even mean? Can you explain that to folks?
0: Yeah, no, definitely. So it really ties back to what we were just talking about because what we see is we're flipping the model a bit where. If the last 10 years have been all about like let's build a big JavaScript app mm-hmm. that runs on the client and the server, we're saying mm-hmm. let's go back to when a lot of the work happened on the server because there's really nice performance implications there. So this is a kind of message that a lot of other frameworks are starting to try to tell, but we have this really unique opportunity to just tell it from a fully like fundamental what we do best is generate HTML and then make it interactive versus you know, what we do best being like a JavaScript application. So The way that we see it is that we are very server-first. The templating language that kind of comes built into Astro is essentially Sugar on top of creating HTML templates. It's a nice way to work with HTML. And then we pair that with a way to bring different components in only when you need them. So if you like React or you like Vue or Svelte, you can actually use those components to build your UI. But again, by default, we're just going to render them out server-rendered to HTML and zero JavaScript being sent down the wire, unless you kind of like opt into it. You say like, no, this component should be interactive. Give me the JavaScript. I'll pay the cost for the user's performance, but I'll get this really nice interactive component versus every other framework is default. I'll oh, send it all. They'll, they might need all of it, so just send it all. I see. We've flipped that model.
3: That makes sense. So how do you all handle this uncanny valley that we get with server-side rendering where it's like, well, it looks great because it's like, oh, this came fast and it looks interactable. Then I try to click it right away and like, oh, nothing's happening. Oh, JavaScript's still parsing and loading, right? (laughs) Some of that can be managed by reducing the amount of JavaScript that you send, but you're still just gaming the system, right? It's never going to be zero seconds or zero milliseconds to process that JavaScript chunk. So like, how are you dealing with that, if at all? Like, Are we just kind of... Leveraging the fact that like because the users have to be intentional and opt in, it's usually a lot less JavaScript. Like, and then there's also no framework JavaScript that's being sent along with this, right? I'm just curious, like, how are you all managing that Uncanny Valley?
0: That's the problem that Astro like exists to solve for, which the Uncanny Valley is a result of the fact that okay, we're gonna server side render your JavaScript application in one of these other frameworks, mm-hmm. and then we're gonna send the whole page down as a full application, and nothing's gonna be interacted until all of it is. That's Really, a uniquely s p a kind of problem mm-hmm. that's really a uniquely kind of that model problem that we just don't have. You still do need to make sure that your components can handle you know what happens if they can they fall back to good behaviors. But the nice thing about when we can kind of hydrate in different components, we're doing that in isolation in parallel, so where large JavaScript applications suffer from the problem of everything has to load before anything can be interactive, there's this really nice model where we can actually treat every component on the page differently so for example, if it's not visible, we're not going to run it. Like Until the user scrolls down to it, that's when we'll hydrate it. That's a really cool like, uniquely Astro feature, because we're treating that component isolated from everything else on the page. Mm-hmm. And the other being, like, if something's really a high priority, you can bump up how quickly it loads. And you can also load that without worrying that something really big and heavy is going to block it. Mm-hmm. So your big, heavy image carousel lower on the page, that's not going to block the you know, buy button that's somewhere in the middle of the page from becoming interactive and loading. So it's a much more decoupled and by result, things that are like really essential can load much faster because we let you kind of control what loads when and how, how high priority it is.
3: Yeah, no, that makes sense. And so there is this, like, waterfall that you get with, like, unbundled ECMA modules, right? Like, if you have a bunch of different JavaScript chunks. Like, true loading in parallel, like, is that even achievable, really, in the browser these days? Like, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I mean, that's that kind of gets into something else you mentioned, which is the fast by default. Uh Just because these things can load in parallel doesn't mean we've, like, blown away all the performance optimizations of bundling and minification. We still do do that, but it's a really interesting model. Instead of saying, okay, here's your whole page as a single JavaScript bundle, Mm -hmm. we're saying almost like here's each component as its own. Island is a term we like to use. It's its own bundle. It can load in parallel. And so you actually are getting still bundled and optimized Mm -hmm. without you really having to think much about it. But it's a result of us kind of behind the scenes still giving you the model while Handling the complexity of it behind the scenes for you.
3: That makes sense. So there is some intelligence that's under, like being managed under the hood in terms of like optimizations that are still happening. Yeah.
0: It's a a big thing of trying to keep that away from the user having to. It's the trick of how do you talk about your framework when every framework claims to be fast. Right. But what we like to say is it's fast by default, which I don't think any other framework can really claim. What we mean by that is like it should be hard to build a slow site with Astro. Because for content sites, performance is so key. It's key to conversions and Google SEO. They're going to rank faster sites over slower sites. Right. In a lot of other frameworks, you're kind of like, okay, well, we built a slow site. What do we do? Okay, well, we can optimize. Let's bring in a performance expert. Let's spend a sprint on just performance and maybe you can make some progress. Mm-hmm. But we want to come from a principle of like, it should be really difficult. You should be like having to try to make Astro slow for it to be slow. Yeah. Otherwise, we'd like just keeping you out of that pit is really a, a main goal of the project.
3: Yeah. 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 No, that makes sense. That's really great to hear. And I would say that like, I think that's an interesting nuance that I, I didn't even pick up on reading your docs like fast by default. Yes, you're right. It is the by default part that I think you, maybe you need to like bold that or something or like, put some <laughs> confetti around it or something.
0: Yeah. You have to try. You got to break yeah. Astro to break our performance story. That's our goal.
3: <laughs> that's cool good marketing. And so another kind of pitch on the Astro site is easy to use. And I noticed that there is a dot Astro UI language that's kind of part of this framework. So can you kind of tell me a little bit about that? And easy to use is a tough claim because that's always relative, but like How easy is it? Like, is it uh, as easy as JSX, right? Where it's like, it looks like HTML, sort of, and like, but still comes with its, uh, I would say, uh, dragons, right? Yeah. So, what's easy here?
0: I will call out that what you're reading is kind of like our aspirations. Like, we want Astro to be easy to use, and we make design decisions Mm -hmm. for that goal over maybe something else, like a really complex feature that's really hard to use. We'll like, we'll avoid that, even if maybe there's some reason to do it other than it's something that we really value is we want to always be easy to use mm-hmm. when we design Astro as a language, as a framework, as a platform, all these things. Mm-hmm. So I agree. I want a frame like, why use this? Oh, it's easy to use. Like I'm always like, oh, every, again, everyone says that, but it's our aspiration. We really value that over other things that other frameworks might value over ease of use.
3: Okay, that makes sense. And so can you give me an example of like an easy to use API in the library, like something that's uniquely easy to use in Astro than some other framework? that whoever might be using.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned the .astro file, which I think is a really good example of how we're kind of trying to give like basically two different paths you can go down and you can mix them as you want. So if you love React, you love Svelte, you love Vue, bring those into your project. They're going to work just like anything else to generate your UI. So there's this idea of kind of bringing something you know to feel comfortable pretty much from day one using Astro. Even if you're migrating a site, like bring that site as long as there weren't like Framework-specific bits, if it's just a React component that's like super agnostic, Mm -hmm. fantastic. It'll probably work in Astro, assuming you kind of meet that, you know, you didn't bring in anything that was framework-specific from the old world. The other side of that is .astro is us building a templating language that's really just HTML. So one of these things about using React or Svelte or Vue is you're having to learn a framework that was built for the client side. So Mm -hmm. it's dealing with reactivity and hooks and... You know these like atoms that are responding to state changes, like that was. Those are all frameworks that were designed first for the client, which has a much more complex interaction story, and then have kind of been backported to the server mm. because we're so server first in our thinking. Astro is just a templating language for the server. There's no reactivity to worry about. There's no hooks. Like everything's going to run once and render. Yeah, and that gives us essentially something that's just HTML. So we call it, like HTML with some like mm-hmm. nice to have features, like a JSX expression if you want to do some sort of templating. You can use components in it. So it feels a lot like a Svelte or React, but we've stripped away all the bits that aren't really relevant on the server. So you have your kind of framework that you love. And then also we try and give you this baseline that's just HTML with a couple of little things you can opt into if you want them.
3: That's so cool. And yeah, you know, honestly, I didn't even really put those things together in my head. Really, like when you optimize for server first then when you're optimizing for HTML, you also by default, like... It's just easy to use because you're not like, you know, yeah, reactivity is really where things get complicated, right? Yeah. That's like the 201, 301, 401, 501 (laughs) classes, you know? Yeah. HTML is like beginner friendly, but doesn't hold you back on... In terms of presenting structurally complex data or sites, either right. So that's like the beauty of HTML.
0: It's something that's always bothered me. Of like, oh, this hello world tutorial. Well, you need to learn a bundler. You need to learn GSX, You need to learn React. You need to learn a state management system, a router. Like, oh, there's like a lot to learn in web development today, and it's all about rendering HTML at the end of the day. So could we build a kind of getting started flow that is just HTML, like valid HTML works as a template, as a component in our syntax. So if you just want to copy an HTML from anywhere, put in an Astro site, that's a site. You've you've just built a site with Astro, that's our hello world.
3: Yeah, yeah, I know that that makes sense. And Billy featured, but flexible is the other thing, right? So you hinted a little bit about like, bring your own sites, bring your own, you can kind of B-Y-O-F, which is a thing that you all have coined, bring your own framework, very cool. You know, what does that even mean? Like there's over a hundred astro integrations to choose from, like what are astro integrations? It sounds like a physics seminar of some kind, but
0: (laughs) I could be wrong. Yeah, you got to put on your lab coat, put on your your goggles, jump into your config files.
3: Current astral projection for this equation is, you know. (laughs) Oh no. You know, it's okay. Listen, this is why I don't like, writing. It's hard to write. Astro integrations, I'm sure, make sense in the context of web development. So and in the context of Astro. So why don't you tell us about what that is? So
0: yeah, no, I'm just laughing because I'm never going to be able to get that image out of my mind for the rest of my life. (laughs) I'm sorry.
3: Astro integrations. (laughs) It's okay. It's hilarious.
0: Yeah, it's our plugin ecosystem. We really like this idea of Mm -hmm. our core providing all the things you need. So when you install Astro, Mm -hmm. you have the basic building blocks of a site. But then, you know, this idea of bringing your own framework, it's a pretty lofty, big scope kind of goal. Mm. We couldn't build everything into core without it just becoming this maintenance nightmare. So what we offer is this idea of like everything you need to build a site is built into Astro. We're going to focus on content sites, so stuff like RSS feeds, God, what else? Rendering markdown. Mm-hmm. There's like all these nice little, like very much more coming from like a blog or like an 11D mm-hmm. nice to haves that are essential in the, uh, in the content site. So we build stuff like that in or make it really easy to grab off the shelf. Mm-hmm. And then when you want to use something like Tailwind or React or Svelte, we essentially have not just a kind of a plugin and integration, but also even a command that you can run. So astro add react is going to do all the work to get that set up for you. It's going to oh, wow. npm install the package. It's going to add it to your config file as you'd expect. Mm-hmm. And the idea is you run that, and now you can use a React component in your project, or Svelte, or Vue, or Tailwind, or whatever it is you need.
3: That is so cool. But like, I have to ask, like, as maintainers, what is it like trying to normalize the JavaScript community, because it feels like that's what you're doing. You're like, we're just going to run a big normalization query on the JavaScript community. Are you like hooking into their the public interface or like the output of these tools? Because it's too much to like go any lower. But I'm just curious, like, how are you managing this and normalizing this experience? Like,
0: Yeah, that's kind of the key of why the dot asterisk syntax exists. It gives us that base layer mm-hmm. where you can then plug in these frameworks into it. So create your shell and then put in your React component. And if you wanted to build an SBA, if you wanted your whole page to be one React component mm-hmm. or many React components, and you never wanted to touch Astro's syntax, that's fine too. But that's kind of the normalization layer. I think that's that's actually pretty much exactly the magic that we've kind of shipped. Yeah, The reason that it's not too much for us to lift is that server-side rendering a React component, that's essentially what every other framework is doing for your whole site. Mm-hmm. We're just doing it shrunken down to a single component. So mm-hmm. it's almost this full circle story where React started early days. It was like, yep, Here's a component, here's a component. It was all front-end focused. And then the kind of build your app as a JavaScript app with React, that all came later. But we're just tapping into that original story, which is use React to build this component on the page. Mm-hmm. All the same APIs work. So we're basically doing the same thing that Next.js is doing, or any React framework yeah. that is going to call the like server rendering internally to create that HTML.
1: This episode is brought to you by our friends at Fly. Fly lets you deploy full stack apps and databases close to your users, and they make it too easy. No ops are required. And I'm here with Chris McCord, the creator of Phoenix Framework for Elixir and staff engineer at Fly. Chris, I know you've been working hard for many years to remove the complexity of running full stack apps in production. So now that you're at Fly, solving these problems at scale, what's the challenge you're facing? One of the challenges
4: we've had at Fly is getting people to really understand the benefits of running close to a user, because I think as developers, we internalize, as a CDN, people get it. They're like, oh yeah, you want to put your JavaScript close to a user and your CSS. But then for some reason, we have this mental block when it comes to our applications. And I don't know why that is. And getting people past that block is really important because a lot of us are privileged that we we live in North America and we deploy 50 millisecond hop away. So... Things go fast. Like when GitHub, maybe they're deploying regionally now, but for the first twelve years of their existence, GitHub worked great if you lived in North America. If you lived in Europe or anywhere else in the world, you had to hop over the ocean and it was actually a pretty slow experience. So one of the things with Fly is it runs your app code close to users. So it's the same mental model of like, hey, it's really important to put our images and our CSS close to users, but like what if your app could run there as well? API requests could be super fast. What if your data was replicated there? Database requests could be super fast. So I think I think the challenge for Fly is to get people to understand that the CDN model maps exactly to your application code. And it's even more important for your app to be running close to a user because it's not just requesting a file. It's like your data and saving data to disk, fetching data for disk. That all needs to live close to the user for the same reason that your JavaScript assets should be close to a user.
1: Very cool. Thank you, Chris. So if you understand why you CDN your CSS and your JavaScript then you understand why you should do the same for your full stack app code. And Fly makes it too easy to launch most apps in about three minutes. Try it free today at fly.io. Again, fly.io. And by our friends at Hasura. Hasura lets you create dynamic, high-performance GraphQL and REST APIs from your databases in minutes with granular authorization and caching baked in. All this without touching your underlying database. Go from data to API in literally minutes. As the technology landscape evolves, a key bottleneck for teams is making data accessible, especially in enterprise environments, modernizing applications and building new features is critically dependent on being able to shape, control and ship your data to interfaces demanding always available real time access. As solves this problem by connecting your databases, your REST servers, your GraphQL servers, and third-party APIs to provide a unified, real-time GraphQL API across all your data sources. Imagine your tech stack is a Postgres database. Go as your backend language, REST APIs and vendors who only expose REST and React for your front end. Hasura can give you an instant GraphQL API for your front end, an API that's protected with roles, caching and everything you expect from a secure API and the ability to connect all your services into a single API. All this while ensuring the performance, the security and the reliability requirements of your API layer. The most important business value Hassor provides is reducing time to market. Imagine if your team can go from data to API in literally minutes, it would be a game changer. Everything they do is through the lens of making developers productive and getting to production ready in minutes. The easiest way to get started with Hasura is with Hasura Cloud. It is fully managed in skills as you grow. Head to Hasura.io slash gsparty. That's H-A-S-U-R-A dot I-O slash gsparty again. Hasura.io slash gsparty.
3: Okay, Fred, so this is the part of the show where I get to sing, Islands in the sun, we have something, one, I don't even, da, 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 da. I don't know. Anyways.
1: Islands in the stream, that is what we are, no one in between,
3: how can we... Every time I see Astro Islands, like, that song pops into my head, but then on your actual documentation site, you have a quote, Islands, not as in real islands, but... Islands in a sea of static non interactive HTML.
0: Yeah, very visual, right? Just a nice little island getaway in the middle of a yeah ocean of HTML.
3: Yeah, just swimming in the sea of div tags, you know? Where's my span, you know? Like, where's my header? Where's my footer? I'm like getting a little uncomfortable here, you know? (laughs) Seriously, it's kind of hilarious, really. But I'm so excited. I finally get to talk about this with you. I've been meaning to pick your brain about this. Now I get to do this on air, yay. So opt-in to complexity is a core kind of principle of Astro, opt into complexity. So can you tell us a little bit about opt-in to complexity and islands and how those two relate and and what the hell are islands please educate us yeah i think we might have hinted at it a little bit already but we haven't explicitly called it out
0: yeah so i mean credit where it's due we did not come up with this term i would just say we were kind of the first framework to make it this like core primitive like astro is a framework for building island architecture for building sites with this idea of thinking in islands I believe it was originally coined by, I want to get her name right, Katie Saylor Miller, who was Etsy's friend and architect. But then Jason Miller, creator of Preact, he did a kind of blog post really outlining it. So this is going back to 2019 in terms of a concept. But now here in 2022, it was always this like really hard thing to do. So it never really was very popular. And then we really, I think our, our claim to fame, if anything, was making this pattern really easy and kind of baked in by default. I think we're going to tie it all together here because this island architecture it's really at the core of how we see ourselves as different from everyone else which is the idea of thinking of your site as mainly static content with islands of interactivity so i mean choose any kind of content site it can be e-commerce it can be a recipe blog it can be you know cnn.com the main thing that they're trying to do is get a lot of content in front of you there's an article you got to read maybe there's comments to interact with but the majority of the focus is on this Giving something to you to consume. That sounds like lame, but it's yeah. what a lot of the internet is based on. It's a, it's a major part of why we go online.
3: Yeah, it's food for your brain. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes it's healthy food. Sometimes it's not, right? Just like life. <laughs> so, you know, exactly. sometimes it's just fun, like cat content, you know? Exactly. I mean, let's be real. Like The internet was definitely invented just to show off cats, you know? (laughs) So (laughs) (laughs) everything else is just like, yeah, who cares, really? It's just there to fill in the spaces. So
0: you've got your cat photo site built with Astro. (laughs) The idea is that the majority of that is the cat photo. It's the comments, people being, wow, cute cat. (laughs) That's all really, really lightweight for users' browsers to kind of consume. Mm -hmm. So the browser can show that really quickly. And on the flip side, then, everything that is kind of proven to be true about performance in that for content sites, gets to play out for you basically for free. So it loads faster. It means less users kind of bounce off your site, Mm -hmm. especially in slower devices like mobile devices, um, slower networks, developing countries. Mm -hmm. You know, we take for granted that, like, especially as web developers, we're working on, like, a MacBook Pro M2 chip Mm -hmm. on our wired Ethernet that I've got plugged in right now. Like, I load up any site on my computer. It's probably going to load pretty quickly. That's completely not realizing that, like, there's a mobile phone out there that is just chugging along on even the most simple site. And that can be a large percentage of the world, especially if you're building something globally or even for your own country. It's easy to forget that a lot of us do live in these bubbles of incredibly fast devices, incredibly fast internet. And that's what I think Google's done a really good job of pushing with the web vitals and Lighthouse scores is really Mm -hmm. bringing people back down to earth. This giant JavaScript application that you're sending down to some lower-powered devices, it's not going to cut it. You're going to lose users. That's a problem we're really existing to solve because it's so, so important for content sites.
3: Yeah, that makes sense. And so I wish this, you know, this is a podcast, so everyone's going to have to use, close their eyes and use their imagination. But imagine your website page as the box, a big rectangular. And then in that rectangle are lots of other little boxes, right, that kind of really break up the architecture of, like, you know, your nav bar, your footer, your main content, etc. And it's, like, really kind of carving out each thing as its own little island and maybe optionally put opting in complexity into one of those little boxes, right? Like, you know, hey, I want JavaScript and interactivity here, but maybe even that's conditional to maybe like internet speed or whatever, right? Like you, I think what's cool about this architecture is I think you get to kind of insert your business logic wherever you want, right? I mean, like ultimately we're the designers of these applications as developers. So we know the needs of our users the best. We know the thing that's important to them. We know they need the things that are less important, right? And so I think it's cool having a framework that allows you to like inject that intention into your application code in terms of its behavior and performance. Like that's like I mean, I don't know if I'm allowed to say the word, but that's B-A-D-A-S-S. I don't want to get censored. So, (laughs) Do we bleep on this
0: podcast? (laughs) We do.
3: I'll just say the word. It's bad. (laughs) If it gets bleeped, I'm sorry, Jared. But, uh, you know, that's so cool. And I think for me, like, this is where, again, like, I don't really care about usage here, statistics, right? I don't care if people are using Astro or not. For me, it's the forward thinkingness, right? So, like, this is, like, TED, Technology, was it Education, Design? I don't even know. I have no idea. Whatever TED stands for, their motto is Ideas Worth Spreading. For me, this is like an idea worth spreading, right? And so I do hope to see this kind of catch on as a principle and as a way of developing performant applications. And really, at the end of the day, performance is about creating the best user experience and like also just meeting the needs of your users, like you're having empathy and understanding that like, sometimes you're just trying to buy a ticket on a train and like you got to optimize for that hot path. And I think what's cool about islands architecture, I feel like it, it gives you an easy way to optimize for the hot path and progressively layer in the fluff. And so I think that's super cool.
0: Yeah. I think what I love kind of on that point is like, these are like approaches, like Amazon is still one of the faster e-commerce sites around because they have engineering. They can just throw engineers at solving this problem. Mm-hmm. Google has had a web framework that does something like this for a decade now, internally only. closure. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> oh, of course I'm going to blank on it now. It's not, oh, I'm blanking on the name of it, but like an internal. It's not called
3: Islands <laughs> in the Sea. No, no exactly. None of the fun. <laughs> no. no fun name.
0: <laughs> yeah. But that idea that these are kind of tools and, like, technologies and approaches that were locked away in these larger enterprises mm-hmm. where everyone else was using these frameworks that were really nice DX but didn't have the same performance story. So there's this really fun kind of unlocking something yeah. that the big players have known to be true for a decade now. And even going back further than that, like, this idea of server rendering, that's that's like a PHP. That's Rails. That's that's old school. Um, but what we're able to do is give you a single code base. So you're not paying, like, the legacy developer experience cost. Mm-hmm. You get the modern DX with the performance story that matches a big player who has PhD software developers working on their projects. We're trying to give that to everyone.
3: Totally. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. I mean, I I think for me, like, I don't know, this is kind of opening up its own can of worms and its own show, but I I do have to say it right. Like DX versus UX is like kind of been a hot topic debate in our community for a while. um, Right. And I'm, personally in the UX camp, right? Like, let's jump hoops to make the experience better. Yeah, it's important to optimize for developer experience for lots of reasons, right? We, good DX leads to more time to work on UX, right? And like less ways to break the UX, right? All good things, right? But at the end of the day, it's important for us to like remember what our priorities are. And I think what's really difficult in our community is our kind of open community space and all the sharing that we have between groups like on the internet, you know, there's folks working at all kinds of companies talking about ideas. But I think what sometimes we fail to recognize is we don't contextualize the advice that we're getting, or we don't contextualize the practices that we're seeing, right? Like Netflix has a world-class engineering team. They throw lots and lots of resources at X. What Netflix is doing is sometimes solving problems that are very unique to Netflix. And it's not like supposed to be exported and copy pasted everywhere in the world, right? We have to kind of examine that with a grain of salt. And also just a lot of companies using certain tools maybe have dedicated performance teams or they have enough experts on staff to manage their usage of those tools or whatever, right? But it's not always one-to-one, right? So you have to, there's a lot to, ex- ex- you have to kind of choose carefully and also think critically when you see things working for certain groups or being, pushed or being used by certain communities right you have to just understand what their context is and if it's not the same as yours then it's you have the right to be skeptical right so <laughs>
0: yeah yeah I think it's one of my favorite things about this project is like when we compare ourselves to all these other frameworks we're not saying and therefore we're the best for everyone it's like every other framework that like the dx and the complexity that they add on it's for a good cause you can build really powerful things that are super dynamic and interactive and mm-hmm. if you're building the next Facebook, like. You shouldn't use React, or you shouldn't use Astro.
3: <laughs> uh-oh, uh-oh, Maybe snap. you shouldn't use
0: React, I don't know. <laughs>
3: oh no, those fighting words. We're at the end of podcast. it's okay, these hot takes. Um, should I use this? I feel like I should be drinking or something, but yeah, okay. <laughs> yes, hot takes it is.
0: We'll do the after show after. <laughs> no, yeah, Facebook is like, you know, like really. there's these really dynamic, there's a lot of user state data flying around, like mm-hmm. Next.js and other things are great for stuff like that, and we get to say that Right. Well, knowing that that lets us make trade. It's like really kind of scary to say, like, We don't work for all use cases. We're not optimizing for all use cases. Instead, that lets us focus on the use case that we think is really not being served by all the others because they're focused on that other end of that spectrum you mentioned. Yeah, It's cool, yeah. It's acknowledging your weaknesses and how they actually play to your strengths in other use cases.
3: Absolutely. And I think it's good to know your audience and good to know your use case. And I think it's important to do that because I think more developers should be thinking about their use case and their needs. It's not just cargo culting and let's adopt this you know does this work for you is the first question (laughs) like does this solve a problem that you have so that's really cool and I think what's interesting is Astro seems to be bridging that gap a little bit uh, for communities that were maybe served by traditional content platforms like WordPress and you know other like other site kind of um, uh, CMSs like but like now we're bringing in that DX and all the kind of fanciness of modern JavaScript development like into that world. So that's really neat. So we can't end this show without talking about the MPA versus SPA debate. So can you kind of set the context for us here, uh, assuming that I'm a person who maybe has never even heard of a multi-page app? What is a multi-page app? I've heard of a spa, right? But what's a muppa? <laughs>
0: or m- um, <laughs> muppa? <laughs> a mupa. <laughs> mupa. It's a little, yeah, it's a little up at the end, MAPA.
3: Yeah, MAPA. What is the MAPA? What is this MAPA? Tell us about this thing.
0: So MPAs were kind of, it's a term that was almost coined in reaction to SBA. So SBA being mm-hmm. the other we've been talking about, the full JavaScript app.
3: Oh, it's the turf war. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I knew there was some nerd beef behind this. JavaScript nerds, it's like instead of like having like, you know, a dance off where they like battle and like, oh, I can dance better than you. It's like, I'm going to come up with an acronym that's like new (laughs) make it sound Yeah, it really
0: sticks it to you yeah
3: yeah it's like oh really next all right well here's nuxt okay
0: (laughs) 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 i'm gonna write so many think pieces about how i'm smart
3: (laughs) this is nuxter now you know i mean that happened with redux and all the fluxy things yeah but any anyways so okay mpa versus spa let's sorry to interrupt you
0: no, it's it's only relevant because before SBAs were a term, like every website was an MPA. So it was like this term that just right. like, didn't need to exist because it was the traditional way of thinking.
3: You mean like Web 3.0? <laughs> like,
0: yeah, exactly.
3: Like, what is this thing again? What are we coining? When did we rev the web a major version again? I missed this. Yeah. Okay, so.
0: So you can think of MPA as just like, <laughs> it's not a JavaScript app that you're shipping to the client to run your website. Okay. So... A lot of the new frameworks are, again, I, I keep throwing out the same names, but Next, SaltKit, Remix, etc. It's all
3: good. This is our reality. Yes. We are in the uh, mono monoculture of JavaScript era. That's all good.
0: Yes. it's The true monoculture of it is even though they're all different React Felt View, mm-hmm. they're all following the same model, which is we want you to build a JavaScript app, and then we're going to optimize it as much as we can. But at the end of the day, you're going to send that full page kind of content down to the user. Mm-hmm. So... React Router is a really good example. It's doing routing on your device. Like your website is running as an application, and it's all running in the browser. So it gives you really snappy navigation. It lets you think of your site as an application running on a user's device. Again, there's a lot of benefits to that model for certain use cases. Where MPA and kind of the line is drawn is MPAs are still in that model of the routing is kind of handled by the server. So if I want to navigate to a page, my browser is asking the web server for a new page of HTML. Mm. And the optimizations that we can make on that end of things are much more about keeping...
3: Are much greater to... <laughs> Sorry.
0: No, no, no. That's a much less explored kind of future. And it's really interesting seeing some of the proposals that are coming out. Like Chrome is pushing this proposal that lets you, even when navigating from page to page with a full refresh, keeping your shell on the page if it's going to exist on the next one. So you can imagine the SBA navigation story oh, wow! where you click a link and... Your page doesn't actually change because it's a JavaScript app fetching HTML and all the complexity. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah.
0: For the MPA story, it's much more about you're getting the server to generate a lot of the markup for you. Mm -hmm. And that's the big benefit for performance is that you're not running an app on a low-powered phone on a bad internet connection. You're streaming HTML down using the model that's kind of existed for the last 20, 30 years around web development of the server is doing all the work. The front end is just making it interactive where you need it.
3: Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Uh, No, I mean, it, it really feels like a lot of the problems that we have today are from us just kind of getting away from leveraging the strengths of the browser and the strengths of the web protocol and trying to reinvent it and like do everything like, you know, like React handling scheduling and thread management and all of this inside of JavaScript land. It's like, whoa, super hard job. Appreciate the effort. Wow, impressive stuff. But like, why are we reinventing that wheel with much less horsepower, right?
0: Yeah, we can tie it back to what we were talking about at the start, which is that idea of a lot of the last decade has been more and more complexity to solve the problems that were introduced by that complexity. So you you mentioned Uncanny Valley. That is... Very much a spa problem that then the spa needs to add more JavaScript to solve. And React server components, I think, are a good example of this. It's really cool tech, but you're just building more and more (laughs) complexity. On Now you need a server framework to even use React to use this feature. It's it's more and more complexity. So so that's why I love working on this, is it's a reimagining that strips away the complexity and goes back to some basics Mm -hmm. that we feel were lost, maybe not for the right reason, or maybe they were lost to give a DX that we think we can now 10 years later Mm -hmm. bring back without sacrificing that story. So instead of adding more and more complexity, we're trying to strip it all away, give you a basic story that beginners love, advanced users love, and we think we've kind of nailed that with this release.
3: No, that that makes sense. And so now if I'm like, want to deploy this thing, use this thing, you know, what's that story like for an Astro app? Because I can't tell if there's a bunch of pre-built stuff or not. Like, I don't know where you fall on the spectrum. Can you tell our listeners about
0: that? Yeah. A couple of things. One is that if you go to our website, astro.build, there's a themes showcase, there's an integrations showcase, there's a drop-in integration, <laughs> integration, I'll put on my lab coat, for every deploy target.
3: Yeah, I know. Astro integration commencing.
0: <laughs> so there's a Netlify integration if you just want to deploy to Netlify, Vercel. Cloudflare, and it's really more timing than anything. We've grown up, this project has grown up in a world that's post-node being the only thing you need to worry about. Mm-hmm. There's new environments that we need to kind of help you build for, like Cloudflare, that are much more restrictive. Edge, right, it's running close to your users and data centers all over the world. Mm-hmm. We have been able to build a system that lets you essentially plug that in and will match our output to what you've asked for. So, mm-hmm. Astro add Cloudflare is going to give you everything you need to start building your site and deploying it to Cloudflare. Mm -hmm. Another really interesting thing that we do is that we're a static site first. So if you're just trying to build something really quick, the idea of just outputting HTML, JavaScript, and CSS is actually our default. So you can really get started. That's when you can deploy pretty much anywhere as a JAMstack site. And then you opt in to the complexity, Mm -hmm. our favorite phrase. You opt in. If I need a (laughs) server that needs to run, (laughs) I will opt into it. I will tell Astro no, 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 don't build a static site. Build a dynamic server. It's going to respond to requests as they come in. It's going to handle user input. You kind of opt into that story when you need it, which for some content sites is never. For others, it's day one. Yeah. We let you kind of make that jump when you're ready for it instead of being, again, all this complexity on by default.
3: Absolutely. No, I mean, this is really great. I, I think it's, it's always refreshing to kind of see new projects, even though, again, we know that this has been something that has been in the works for a while. We're just going 1.0 now. We just went 1.1.0 this week with Astro, but it's so great to see where we're landing as a community. It always does feel like we are taking that spear and throwing it a little further every time. And we're taking best practices built up and we're all standing on the shoulders of so many different giants, you know, giants from 60 years ago, 100, maybe not 100, 60 years ago, giants from 30 years ago, giants from five to one year ago, right? So many best practices seem to be kind of coming into Astro, everything from like, kind of turnkey usage in terms of getting started is easy, turnkey deployments, integrations support with all of your favorite tools that you've been using and that you're familiar with. And then I think the really cool thing is the, um, you're kind of really sticking true to that promise of like easy to use, right? Like, so I just kind of releasing this 1.0 with all of these integrations and just even support for deploying to Cloudflare and that's huge. So it's a very impressive 1.0. I feel like you're pushing the bar a little bit now for applications. Like, I'm like, hot damn, if this is 1.0, I don't even want to know what's in store for V2. So
0: it's going to be really exciting when we can kind of set the foundation in place. And and yeah, I'm really excited for the roadmap we have ahead. And yeah, kind of to your point, credit where it's due, like this is only possible because we can see and learn from other people in the open source ecosystem. So we're definitely taking some features that we love from Next and SvelteKit. A lot of these things we're not building in isolation. There's real inspiration from pretty much everyone from every kind of framework we found, things that we love that we brought into Astro. So we get to make our big bets, but then also rely on things that have been proven out by others, which is a really nice thing to be able to say.
3: Absolutely. absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Fred. It's been an absolute pleasure. We'll have lots of links in the show notes for everything that we talked about today. And yeah, check out Astro. It seems like a really fun project to definitely play with, but also I'd say the docs alone are are really, I think, a great read. There's just lots of great ideas and Lots of um, fun little quotes, so um, you should go find them. That's it for this week, everyone. We'll catch you next week, and thank you very much. It's great to be back today. Bye, y'all.
2: All right, that is JS Party for this week. Thanks for listening. There's something new over on the changelog feed. I'd love to tell you about it. Every Monday, we are shipping a super brief, 10 minutes or less changelog news episode. We cover about five stories, articles, repos, or other things of interest in the software world. And we also mix in fun sound bites and references throughout, so it's not your typical drab news read. Here's a sample of one news item from this week. Have you heard of Tabler? It's a premium open source dashboard template with a responsive and high quality UI. It works cross-browser, of course, uses modern HTML and CSS, and it's built with Bootstrap. Remember that?
3: Now that's a name I've not heard in a long time. A long time.
2: There are also React components available for Tabler in a separate repo. Links to both are in the show notes. If you want us to help you stay up to date with what's fresh and new in the software world, subscribe to the ChangeLog, and we'll drop that episode into your podcast app each Monday. Learn more at changelog.fm. Thanks again to our partners at Fastly for the super fast bandwidth, to Fly.io for serving up our app, to the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder for the dope beats, and to you for being a part of the JS Party community. We appreciate you. Next up on the pot, Amel sits down with Nick and Amelia for a roundtable discussion on the tech job interview process. Stay tuned for that. We'll have it ready for you next week.